Good morning, and thank you so much for coming. Mayor Soglin and I are going to have some opening remarks, and then we'll open it up to questions. Also, I have Stephanie Young from our organization. She's our food share manager. She'll also be available for some questions. So on behalf of Second Harvest Food Bank of Southern Wisconsin, and more importantly, the clients we serve, let me begin by expressing our concern over the governor's proposed plan to further limit those who may be eligible for food share benefits. Food share is the most effective tool available to ease some of the burdens faced by those in our community who are also the most vulnerable. And contrary to what people believe, food share is not a drain on our economy. By cutting benefits, we'll not only have a negative impact on the lives of those who benefit from this program, but we'll also have a negative impact on the local economy. According to the USDA, for every $5 that goes out in food share benefits, another $9 is generated in local economic activity. Similarly, there are those that believe that the food share program is filled with people who take advantage of the system. Again, this can't be further from the truth. Statistics show that the level of fraud and abuse in this program is less than 3%. The program changes that are proposed by our governor do not reinforce the false and negative stereotypes already associated with people using the food share program. So at Second Harvest, our mission is to end hunger in the 16 counties that we serve in southwest Wisconsin. This proposed change to food share will do just the exact opposite. The reality is that these, if these changes are implemented, they'll put an added strain on the local food pantries, the meal sites, the homeless shelters who partner with us. Hundreds, if not thousands, of people who have a tough time making ends meet today and who rely on food share to put much-needed and nutritious food on their tables will have no choice but to turn to the local emergency food resources that exist in our community. So thank you again for coming. I'd like to turn it over to Mayor Soglin. Thank you, Dan, and, and, and thanks for, for hosting us as you did in 2013 when we gathered here at uh, Second Harvest to talk about the then potentially devastating cuts made to the SNAP program by Congress. The $9 billion cut to the program uh, for the so-called heat and eat provision is just one more example of the efforts by the Congress which are so misguided and then paralleled here at the state level by the governor and hopefully not the legislature. I recently received a, a sobering letter from an individual who was impacted and suffers under that false notion that if you don't need funds to pay for your electricity and your heat, you don't need to eat. Across the U.S., governors and legislatures rushed in to deal with this problem, fixed it in 17 states. But in four states, including Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, New Hampshire, and New Jersey, we see a continuation of this effort to demonize the poor and to take it out on the children of this state. While many are trying to get through day to day with less money, the governor and the state legislature continue to demonize 
people who want to do nothing more than become productive and to participate in the benefits of our communities. In one of the most prosperous nations in the world, one out of every six white children is undernourished, one out of every three African-American children is undernourished, and the numbers are comparable for Latino kids. We ought not make it more difficult to eat, but instead invest in a system that's going to feed every person and provide adequate nutrition and affordable and culturally appropriate meals three times a day, every day of the week, every week of the year. Taking a line from the author and poet Wendell Berry, the motive of competition has failed us in our food system. The current industrialized system does not work to the advantage of the average household. It's not affordable for many and too often is unhealthy. At a time when we should be using the resources of one of the richest agricultural states in the U.S. to ensure a healthy, nutritious meal and environment, we find that those who are leaders, who claim to be leaders, demanding that we punish families and children, and instead of inspiring and working to create a system that leads to production, that leads to productivity, they seem to think that a political solution lies in hurting families. There are a number of steps we can take involving relationships between our farming communities here in Dane and surrounding counties, our local consumers, restaurants, stores, and the good people who donate and participate in the activities here at Second Harvest. Let us get aligned with them rather than struggle for political headlines which are only designed to inflame, to incite, and not to cure or improve. Thank you. Any questions? Karen, can you talk a little bit about the need for pantries and food services, and do you think this might inhibit those seeking such aid? Dan, can you speak to Anecdotally, uh, the people that we serve, the food pantries and meal sites, report that their numbers remain significant. So even though the economy is improving, we're not seeing improvements with the most vulnerable people. And to reiterate, one of the things that we're concerned with is if they cut these benefits, they're going to have to rely on access to food someplace else. So the, the people that are already serving it through those emergency needs will be asked to do even more. So we're not seeing a decrease in the demand uh, or the need at those locations, but we'll see an increase if this happens. Dan, what, what relationship do you see between drug testing and getting food at a food bank? 
drug testing is already in place for people with food share. It's something that's not really well known, but for people that have had a felony conviction in the last five years are not eligible to receive that benefit. When it comes to drug testing, obviously we feel it's a way that they're going to take people who are in need off the rolls. But more importantly, most of these people, many of them have families. So the other people that are hurt are the children and the spouses. So we don't think that in other states that have incorporated drug testing or looked at it, that the expense that's incurred for the tests that are used anywhere are comparable to the number of people that are asked to leave the program because they failed the test. Do you have anything you want to add to that? Let's assume that we have an adult in the household who's a substance abuser. That person needs treatment. They need help. They need medical attention. By cutting off food to their family and their children, all that's taking place is we are causing more stress in the household, both in terms of mental health and, most importantly for the children, in terms of nutrition and their ability to function in school. And I want to really focus on this for a moment. Let's recall that in terms of children learning, the biggest impediment on a day-to-day basis is hunger. Hungry kids do not learn in the classroom. Maybe I didn't understand completely. The beginning of your answer was you said if someone's already been convicted of a felony, they have to test. Is that correct? As it is right now in Wisconsin, if someone is convicted of a drug felony within the last five years, they do need to take a drug test before receiving benefits. And if they fail that drug test, then they have another year. They have to wait until they take another drug test, and then they can receive benefits if they are clean in that drug test. I don't expect you to know the exact numbers, but would you be able to ballpark if they had to pass, if what Governor Walker is proposing went into effect, how many people that utilize your service do you think would be affected, or maybe a guess on a percentage? There's not an estimate at this time how the drug testing would affect clients currently receiving benefits. Do you think there's a significant number out there that would be affected by this? All we know is that what they've done in other states, the number is not even comparable to the savings and benefits versus the cost of administering the test. So the number has not been a significant number. The governor says he's going to ask for a waiver from the feds. How confident are you that that will stop it in its tracks, and what other options if it comes to that? In Florida, where the drug test has been implemented, it has been found to be unconstitutional. So with that history, it's fairly unlikely that the federal government would provide this waiver. The likelihood of the state getting the waiver is minimal. The real point of mentioning the proposal for drug testing is the attitude it reflects 
the disconnect from reality in terms of the role of food and nutrition and the health of a community, the ability of children to learn. It, it's, it's really a question of getting refocused. Let me give you an example. There's a handful of states where the legislatures have taken the initiative to cre create food hubs, places for food aggregation, public markets in the millions and millions of dollars. Why in America's dairy land do we have a state government focused on depriving people of food when they ought to be developing markets, encouraging connections from farm to table, and helping us grow an economy based on food? I just wanted one more thank you for all of you being here today. Uh, this is such an important matter, and the fact that you came out here uh, to, to, to help us share this message is really appreciated. It is one that unfortunately is not going to go away in, in the near future, and we've just got to redirect this discussion away from abusing people to figuring out how we're going to get healthy food into every child's stomach here in the state. Um, you know, I, I, when we asked the question about the testing, you know, I started thinking about the challenges we have right now in the state in regards to opiates. And what if we were to say to every wealthy person in the state who's got an addiction, who's got an addiction to prescription medications, you can't eat anymore. I mean, how would that go over? Thanks. I guess the last thing I'd like to say is that um, the misnomer, misnomer of, of the people that receive food share benefits, many people think it's the unemployed. 35% of the people that receive those benefits have jobs. And when we're talking about job training, we already have a significant number of people that have jobs. There's also a significant number of people that use these benefits that are children and elderly. So job training and getting people employed is a wonderful goal, but it's not either or. In the interim, we need to continue having a resource of food, nutritious food. As the mayor said, uh, nutritious food and adequate quantities of food help children when they're in school. There are poor educational outcomes when they don't have enough. And we're already seeing significant health issues that result from poor nutrition with obesity, diabetes, and eventually high blood pressure. We don't want these to be caused because of this event. So we want to continue to get nutritious food, especially to our children, so they can succeed as they get older in life.